have some structure to what your plans are and have some structure to your day and and just take your time with it. And I think at the end of it, you have this space which you've created that you will feel much more settled in and you can have the other benefits of being in the garden and being with nature to have those moments that we all really, really need. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. That was Richard from Sharpen Your Spades. He creates a blog and also has an allotment in in Wales and he grows organic fruit and veg for his family. We had a really good chat about all things fruit and veg and how he got into it all that sort of stuff really really good conversation now what i wanted to talk to you today about in this this introduction which i'm recording just after our first really serious frost we've had of the year we're down in essex in the uk um, which tends to get away with slightly milder weather possibly one of the mildest places uh, in the uk apart from maybe down in devon cornwall and stuff like that but we certainly don't get a huge amount of really really cold weather but we we did get a relatively hard frost this morning um, and something we get always asked about is why people's plants die over the winter specifically when they're hardy plants now what we mean by hardy is obviously plants that can go through for a winter and hardy does depend on where you are obviously um There'll be some things that will get through a winter, like basil, for example, will go through winters in in tropical climates, um, but certainly in the UK and won't. And if you put it in Siberia, it definitely won't. Um, So it does depend where you are. But one thing we find as well, and specifically when people are growing things in pots, um, is is water can do a lot more damage than the actual cold can. Um, So... You used to be able to get, and I don't know whether you can still get them, but you can certainly make something up. You used to be able to get these these feet that you put under pots um, to hold the pot off the ground. So a good pot to plant your, your plants into will have a hole in the bottom. Now what can happen over a period of time is a little bit of soil will will be lost out of that that hole in the bottom, which will actually make a seal around the base of the pot, so the pot feet help uh, well certainly will stop that happening or certainly help stop that happening um, and that can make the plants sit really really wet so very rarely and I say very rarely clearly cold can kill plants but often with a hardy plant it will be the water plus the cold that will cause a lot of the damage um, so if you have got pots um, and you've planted things like um, obviously we talk about herbs a lot herbs and chilies but herbs in particular things like rosemary lavender in particular doesn't like sitting wet things like oregano stuff like that if you can bring them in uh, especially oregano it can help if you can't and it is a hardier variety it will be the wet that will get it over the winter rather than the cold Um, it does depend how cold it gets obviously but it is often the wet that will get the plant so make sure the pot is draining properly and maybe bring it closer to the house or closer to a sheltered spot where it's going to get a little bit of shelter from some of the hardier hardier cold weather um so yeah that's definitely something i would look at doing um but if you can't find these little pot feet which i think they they still sell at garden centers you could obviously just prop it up so making sure you're not sealing the base of the pot so it does hold in the water um, and that will help with drainage a massive amount um, and like I say, it's the water plus the cold that will will get a lot of plants, especially some of the, the hardier herbs, without a doubt. So without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hi, 
You're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them, with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Hi, Alan. Thanks very much for having me on. No problem at all. Where are you joining us from? I'm in, I'm in Cardiff, uh, so that's my home city. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And how's the weather with you? Well, uh, despite being Wales, it's actually a beautiful, sunny, cold November day today. Oh, um, so it, it's a very pleasant. Very nice. So tell everyone what you do. Uh, well, uh, I, I work full time, um, but uh, around my full time job, I, um, I, I have an allotment garden, which um, I've had on and off for about 10 years now. Um, but the last three years, I've really, really taken it uh, quite seriously. I've settled on a an allotment garden near my home, and um, it's a pleasure. And you you also involved in social media a fair bit? Yeah, I'm very active on social media. I started um, actually I started blogging about um, allotment gardening uh, three three years ago, mm. and um, I I started a blog, and it was it was I found it was a very big community online. Um, so. I became very active on social media, uh, particularly Instagram at the moment. There's a, it's a wonderful community on uh, Instagram I've discovered over the last few years um, of gardeners, and it's 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 just wonderful. Um, there's lots of people sharing their, their their pictures of their allotments and their gardens, and um, I've met a couple of people that I class as friends now. Mm. Excellent. That's that's really nice, isn't it? And and tell us a little bit how it all started. So I'm I'm interested. What was your first memory of gardening? Uh, well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I've said this to some people before. My first memory of gardening actually wasn't me actually gardening, and it doesn't really feel like it was something that um, started my gardening off. Um, but when I was younger, my grandfather um, he was a market gardener. Um, long before I was born, but he was a market gardener. And when he retired, um, he couldn't really give up the veg. He loved it so much that him and my grandmother had this 1950s uh, semi-detached house in Cardiff. Mm. And he turned the entire garden over to veg <laughs> um, and two greenhouses. And um, that is my first memory. Um, I remember going to the house every every week or so. For, for Sunday lunch and me and my brother and my cousins would would spend many a few hours running around the veg patch and playing hide and seek and um, I have vivid memories of of the vegetables growing in his garden so stealing tomatoes things like that <laughs> stealing tomatoes yeah um, peas off the pod but it, it, I, I didn't feel like it was something that was inspiring me to, to garden then it was just that was quite just a normal place to be with my mm. in my grandfather's garden, and, and there was all this veg growing everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And the I I think actually um, those memories, although there'll be lots of people up and down the country, and in fact all over the world that can still have those memories. Their children can go to the grandparents or aunties yeah. and uncles. Uh, but it's becoming less and less as gardens get smaller. Now with your your blogging. Um, do you try and react to the trends in gardening? Do you often get comments with regards to smaller spaces? I think so. I, I think, well, that, was, that was definitely my own um, experience of when I caught the gardening bug, so to speak. I didn't have a garden. I had pretty much a, a concrete yard. And I suppose many people in the, in the twen- mid-20s as I was when I wanted the garden, that's 
going to be a very common situation where we don't have the luxury of space that perhaps our grandparents did in, in the houses that they lived in, um, say, 50 years ago. Um, it's it's a luxury to have a garden and it's very difficult. Or I felt it was very difficult when I became passionate about growing stuff. Mm. Um, what do I do now? And that's really what happened was when I took on the allotment. And what I've realized is people online are in that situation where they're looking to grow. Allotments are almost like a an old tradition that has got this wonderful new lease of life by people my age and younger, especially. And I think part of it is because the space that you get provided with an allotment is just fantastic and you you won't get that in mm. it would seem in gardens and apartments um in across cities especially these days mm. and did you jump straight into an allotment or you had this um this little bit of space did you start utilizing that yeah i started utilizing the space first i had a packet of tomato seeds i knew nothing about growing tomatoes <laughs> i knew nothing about growing anything and i had a, a small plastic greenhouse in this very small garden concrete terraced house and I basically used this very cheap plastic greenhouse to grow a few tomato plants in yeah. and it was so inspiring to see something like that grow that I put the seeds in the pot and I watered it I nurtured it and then to have the food from the plant afterwards <laughs> I was just desperate to, to grow more things yeah. and when I realized the garden is not going to be an op- opportunity for me to expand as much as I wanted to. I put my name on the allotment list and I haven't looked back. <laughs> and was there much of a wait when you joined? So the first allotment site I, I joined uh, about 10 years ago, there was a, a wait, which is typical, I suppose. Most people across the country um, mm. will, will experience that. But it wasn't too bad. I pestered the allotment secretary so much, though. <laughs> I would, I would ring, I would ring the allotment secretary every month and, and ask um, if I was any closer to the top of the list. And I think eventually he probably just gave me the gave me the pot <laughs> because I was I was annoying him so much. But yeah, it was about three months. I think I had to wait uh, mm. three or four months. Yeah, were you lucky? Did you end up with uh, an allotment that is, wasn't overgrown, or I'm I'm interested? Was it all overgrown and brambles everywhere? So I've had a, three allotment sites over the last 10 years and every single one of them has been overgrown. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone will ever have the luxury of uh, having what they perceive to be a, a blank slate. And that's partly because of the way the allotment sites are run. It's quite a lot where, you know, you, you get, the, it seems to get, I'm, I'm on the committee of my, my current mm-hmm. allotment sites and we have the same conversations about how we can improve that because it does seem that when you take on an allotment, you you take on something that is just completely unimaginable in terms of brambles and weeds and couch grass and, and everything. And it's a shame that they seem to get into that cycle mm. because I think when new people come onto allotment sites with this <laughs> idea and aspiration of what they want to achieve, they, they step onto these sites and they see, oh my God, where, where do I start? I can't even see the, the, the ground. And and that's part of the way I think allotment sites seem to be one, which is a bit sad. But um, yeah, so none of my allotment sites have, have ever been um, clear when I started. But I think partly I've learned to take on a new way of looking at that and an approach to it because they're, they're big old spaces and it can really be quite overwhelming. I think when you take an allotment and it's just a, an overgrown mess of brambles and it's about slowing things down and taking it one step at a time. And that's what I've done with mine. And 
that's what I tell any of the new people that come onto our allotment site. They just just start at the front and move backwards slowly, mm. and it will all be fine. Just don't be overwhelmed with it all. And I'm um, I'm lucky enough to talk to people all over the world, and allotments are. I'm not going to say they're unique to the UK, but they they mm-hmm. don't seem as common across the rest of the world. But for people who are considering taking an allotment on and they 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 eventually get it after the waiting list and then they're faced with this this plot that's overgrown, where where do you suspect they should start? Well, what I've learned to do, um, because even though I've had my current allotment for three years now, I still have an area of overgrown bit that I'm, I'm looking to uh, cultivate. And I think because I'd been on allotment sites a few times before I came onto my current site, it wasn't a surprise to me. So I think people need to be firstly aware that, look, when you hold that passion and that enthusiasm, because that's a wonderful thing to have, but please don't feel disheartened when you get the keys and you get shown around an allotment site and you see a mess, because it's about... I think you need to appreciate it's going to look like that, so it's not a surprise. And then it's about looking at it in a different way, saying, well, I, I can make the space my own. I think you have to try and look beyond the tangle of brambles and couch grass and weeds and have a vision and take your time. And that's what I've always done is that whenever I, when I took on my current plot and it was overgrown, I... I looked around it. I I measured the space to see what I actually had. And then I went and put everything down on paper. And I and I kind of like the idea of saying, well, this is what I want it to look like in my head. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that should be a rigid thing because I mm. think things should happen organically in gardens and allotments for that matter. But having some kind of plan. And then every time you go to the allotment, have, a, have an idea of what you want to achieve that day. I, I've been with been there before where I've gone to a, my, my allotment when I was taking it starting and trying to get into shape and I would just wander around I would do a bit of something I'd do a bit of clearing and then a bit of digging or pulling of brambles up and I didn't really accomplish anything so what I started doing was saying well when I go to the allotment today I've got three hours and this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and I think by doing that, you walk away from it there at the end of the time you've got there and you feel like you've achieved something. <laughs> so that's, and I've kept that habit. So every time I go down now, I have a, a, a few things on the list that I need to do and I want to achieve before I leave at the end of the day. And mm. it, it feels manageable. I think it psychologically, it helps you really sort of like look beyond what is a, an overgrown mess mm. and feel like you can achieve something as you go, go along. Yeah, definitely. And I think gardening's a fantastic way to sort of I'm going to say this, it sounds worse than it actually is, but waste a couple of hours. You can definitely um, spend some time in the garden or on the allotment just um, sort of fiddling around, pootling around and bits and pieces. But if you want to get, achieve stuff, I think you're absolutely right. Gardening really does benefit from having a plan, and that's particularly when you're veg growing, I think. Yeah, I've gone from two minds on this because mm. there's, Gardening is very much for me, and I think a lot of people, about well-being. Mm. And having that space where you can just be is really, really important. And I know some people will say, well, don't set yourselves a massive task list or don't be structured in your approach. But I agree with you. I think you have to have some structure because the problem, I think, with allotment is that they can feel overwhelming from the start or they can become overwhelming if you don't have that structure in place mm. and that's not to say that you can't 
embrace them as the spaces which most of us gardeners will know as being a wonderful source of well-being and peace and and sort of a, um, a, tr- a tranquil space from, especially if you live in cities, to get away and just be next to nature. But I think absolutely have some structure to what your plans are and have some structure to your day and and just take your time with it. And I think at the end of it, you have this space which you've created that you will feel much more settled in and you can have the other benefits of being in the garden and being with nature to have those moments that we all really, really need. And how specifically with the first allotment, how did you actually choose what to grow? So, yeah, when I first started doing it, I was completely new. I, I really had no idea how to grow anything, what I could grow. And, and, and you're right, what I wanted to grow. Um, and the obvious first thing for me was to grow potatoes because they're, they're very easy. Everyone pretty much eats potatoes and they're something that can, can go into the ground quickly as well. And, and they don't take up too much of your time or, or require too much of attention. So potatoes were first and, and then I grew, I didn't have a greenhouse or any kind of cover, anything under cover. I didn't have a polytunnel or a greenhouse at the time. So I didn't bother with growing tomatoes because unfortunately it seems, especially here in Wales, it's very wet. Um, and it's not cold. And unfortunately that usually means that blight is quite common and I don't really have much luck with outdoor tomatoes. And luckily, this is a good tip, taken on a lot when I spoke to my neighbours at the time and none of them would grow outside tomatoes because they found that we just struggle with the, the long seasons of getting them to ripen firstly and also they usually get hit by blind. So I, I took that tip. I didn't grow tomatoes outside, but I grew some wonderful squash and pumpkins for the first time. And they are still my favourite thing to grow <laughs> because they, they, there's an incredible variety of them and they really are pretty straightforward uh, and prolific. So that's how I chose in the beginning. Luckily, over the years, I've become much more sort of knowledgeable and experienced, and and I know exactly what I like to grow and what how I like to, how what I like to achieve. And I think now these days, my first approach when deciding what vegetables I'm going to grow is absolutely grow what I eat because I think that once you once you become a allotment gardener and you get seed catalogs or you go onto the website or you see nurseries offering an incredible variety of, of crops and, 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 and vegetables. And you think, wow, I want to grow them all, which is great. Um, I think one of the most wonderful things about growing your own vegetables is the variety that you suddenly discover outside of supermarkets. But it's also about, well, I need to start with what I'm going to eat here because one, you want to make sure you're not wasting all that time growing something that you don't like. Mm. Or that doesn't grow that well and it takes a lot of your time and your space and it doesn't turn out that well. And actually something that you can then bring back to the house and know that everyone's going to enjoy and, and you're getting the benefit out of. So these days I, I, I do look at what I really, what we as a family like to eat mm. and I try and prioritize those first. And then within those, I will look at varieties that are new or interesting or, or not necessarily new, but heritage varieties but I, I love things that are colorful offer a unique taste or flavor mm-hmm. within existing crops so to speak so purple potatoes or um, different kinds of cabbages or broccolis or multicolored carrots mm-hmm. um, I've got a nine-year-old daughter and I think one of the best things we've had is 
not only her experience of growing the vegetables that go on a plate, but also making it interesting because, like I said, there seems to be so many varieties and colours and flavours of the crops that we can grow. It just It's just a really exciting possibility for children especially. Mm. And have you found she's been interested in the allotment? Absolutely. It's one of her favourite places to be, um, which really, really pleases me because she will happily spend the entire day down there with me. And that's not necessarily doing the weeding or, you know, potting things on or doing things on the plot. It's just being in an outside space for her. Mm. And they're wonderful communities. We've, you know, we've got a load of friends down there and she knows them by name and they know her. Um, and she'll come onto the allotment with me. She'll do some things. She asks questions and then she'll go off and use her imagination and just play around. And, mm. and I think, that's the other advantage about the allotment side is that it's a, it's a great outside space within a city mm. and they're a great community and um, she will happily stay down there all day with me and I, I, I hope she is taking things away and learning things and she enjoys eating the things that we grow together which yeah. is very exciting yeah that sounds fun. I'm sure she's picking up lots just even if yeah. it's not directly taught just through osmosis she's, she'll be picking up lots I, I'm certain I hope so, yeah. And um, she, she certainly talks a lot about the allotment uh, to her friends. So I think she is definitely <laughs> one of her favourite places to be. Oh, that's really nice, isn't it? So when did the um, when did the blogging start? The blogging started pretty much the same time I took on my my current allotment, which was about three three years or so ago. And the reason I did that was I felt I wanted to do two things. One, I realised that there was a big community of people who were writing about their allotments online and I wanted to be able to connect with them. Mm. And two, it was about me sort of writing. Uh, writing was a way of learning for me. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was reading a lot of things and then I found that if I wrote down what I was learning or my thoughts and what my plans were, it was a much better process for me. And that's why it started really that I found that I just wanted to write about growing fruit and vegetables because it, it helped me a lot and it also connected me with a lot of other people. Yeah. It's and like you said, uh, right from, from the beginning of us recording, um, you said it's a, a fantastic uh, community online of, of gardeners from literally all over the world. Um, yeah. And you're absolutely yeah. right. And that's something that comes up time and time again on the podcast. People say how friendly all the gardeners are online whether it be on instagram facebook or or any of those places or through gardening blogs um and you've gone on to to win win an award i was uh, i was very lucky to be a, a garden media girl finalist in blog of the year last year which oh. was wonderful and uh, went to the uh, the event last november in the savoy in london mm-hmm. which was lovely to meet um lots of people in the media and and, and talk about gardening and, and catch up with a few friends that I've met through social media as well. Mm. So I was, I, yeah, I was very, um, <laughs> I was very pleased about that. Well done. And I'm guessing that the Savoy is frowned upon to wear Wellingtons. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, it is. It's very much uh, seeing gardeners outside their natural habitat because everyone <laughs> seems to be in shirts and ties and um, posh frocks, which you wouldn't want to probably wear on the allotment. <laughs> no. No, and actually, um, we used to holiday a lot in Wales, um, and it, it often rained a lot. So I'm guessing Wellington <laughs> boots are uh, are a must-have in your area. 
It is, yeah. I, I often joke about this uh, to people when they come over, and, and you know, Wales is a very wet part of the country. I think it's, I think it is actually the wettest part of the UK. Right. Uh, we get a lot of rain here, and I always try. And, <laughs> as a Welshman, I always think, well, you've got to look at this in a positive way. That yes, it, it rains a lot, but it means that in the summer we don't really have to worry about water in the garden, um, <laughs> or, or, or knowing that we're going to get some uh, resource water saved from somewhere. Mm. interesting enough we're possibly at polar opposites because we're actually i think around about four miles from statistically the driest part of the country Um, right we are yeah yeah yeah. so um yeah we're completely completely different to you over here um so you've got the blogging um and how did you I mean, you obviously did it to get in contact with people, but how did you decide on what you were going to blog about? Did you have a particular area you were you were interested in? Uh, at the, when I first, I mean, the the blog and how I write and what I write about now has has changed, which I guess it would do for quite a lot of people. When I started writing on the blog, I didn't really know what I wanted to write about. I just I, I just wrote about what I was doing. It was kind of a diary at the beginning, and I just wrote what my what I'd been doing that week or, what, or or that day, and and if I'd find anything useful, I I put it up on on the site, and then I kind of went through a transform in terms of the way I wrote about things, and as I started reading things and started collecting books and, and meeting people and stuff, I would want to kind of go through that knowledge that I was gaining to clear in my own head. And also I wanted to put it on the blog because I, I found that people were interested in it and people found it useful. Mm. And I really started to enjoy the writing. And I I, I suppose that, that, is, that is what it is now, is that I, the blog is, talks about fruit and vegetables that I'm growing. And I think as probably a lot of people would go through this, is what I talk about and how, um, and other things in my life have changed because of the allotment and the gardening. Um, I'm very much more aware of things like climate crisis and sustainability issues and our natural environment because I think when you be when you're a gardener you you're very much in touch with that directly because it affects you it affects you in your garden you can see it happening and you can see um how nature really works for you and, and with us and so that's become a big thing for me to talk about and to behave as well has changed my behavior a lot so i talk about that i talk about food and um, that's the other thing i mean i mean the allotment and growing my own fruit and vegetables really was all about food i'm i'm passionate about cooking i was passionate about cooking when i first grew those tomato plants and that was the real reason why i started growing fruit and vegetables because it gave me access to wonderful ingredients yeah definitely and there's a massive taste um difference between something that's grown grown at home or on the allotment and i think there's a few crops that's particularly true for and for me tomatoes are one of those things yeah absolutely and i i, I think um it, there's two things on that point that I, I would i've definitely come to realize is one is um absolutely if if, if you grow them on the on, on your allotment you can just pick them and you can eat them within seconds mm. um, or you can get into the house and you could be serving them up on your dinner plate that day mm. and the freshness is something I think is just significantly different to what you would get in the supermarkets because a lot of the time there's been a, 
a significant period of time between those vegetables being harvested and being put on the shelves and for you then to get them back home to your, your kitchen. So yeah, that's things like um, sweet corn for me is one that I think is just unbelievable. If you can get it from the plot to your plate within a matter of minutes, then it will taste like nothing you can buy in the supermarkets because um, the sugars are just so still still haven't turned to starch in, in things like corn and 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 things like that mm. and the same for peas as well because as soon as you start harvesting them the the, the starches sort of um, uh, break down the sugars and you don't get that sweetness that you do which is mm. why fresh peas are off the pod on the plot straight into your mouth they're just one of the most magical things ever mm. um, but also the other part of this is the variety that you just you, you go to the supermarket and I suppose for commercial reasons they they've got one type of parsnip, one type of carrot, and it's much easier for them to do that on a commercial scale. But when you start growing things on on your own in your garden, that's what still amazes me now. You open up the seed catalogs and you go to the nurseries and the garden centres, you look on the website and you see this incredible range of tomatoes, for example, mm. or or carrots or potatoes, mm. and you just can't get that variety really anywhere else. And so there's those two things for me in the food. It's the fact is that the freshness of the ingredients and also the variety of the ingredients you get access to by simply growing something yourself is, is phenomenal. Yeah, there's, and there's a vast array of different varieties out there um, for for various different reasons. And I think the one that I mentioned to, to people who, who don't know about horticulture uh, is potatoes. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people, uh, if they've never looked for a seed catalogue or, or never grown potatoes for, wouldn't realise how big a range of potatoes there are. We used to sell seed potatoes and we, we did a tiny amount of varieties of uh, compared to what they are, but we did about 80 different varieties yeah. of seed potatoes yeah. and that's minuscule compared to how many there are out there. I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I said that earlier as when one of the best things you can grow as a new grower is, is potatoes, I think, because mm. it's so so easy. But also, yeah, the the, the variety is, is 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 crazy. I, I think there's, I think I, I read and, and wrote about something I discovered. There's like three and a half thousand varieties of potatoes in the world, mm. um, all mainly from South America in terms of their origin, and and different varieties obviously being bred now for for different purposes. But I remember going to the garden, <laughs> starting gardening, and potatoes, for example. Most people, I suppose, unless you your garden, will not know the potatoes. You have three three types, which is your earlies, your second earlies, and your main crops. Uh, and and that sort of blew my mind a bit. And thinking, well, what does that mean? Um, and then with each, uh, within each of those, obviously, you get this incredible range of, of varieties that you can have as your new potatoes and, and as your main crops, for example. It's phenomenal. And mm. I, I, I think you could possibly be a gardener and grow a different variety of potato for decades, <laughs> yeah. every single year, because there's just so many to choose from and to try. Mm. Um, and I do love that, you know, across the range of crops, that one of the benefits is that you, once you start understanding where you live and the type of conditions you have, there's usually a variety that will work well for you. You know, whether it's blight resistant, if you live in a wet and humid part of the UK, or it's, you know, it's, Cool, it's great for cooler climates if you've got further north and you know breeders seem to be bringing out things that can adapt to certain conditions all the time and, and that's exciting that's, yeah. that's really exciting yeah exactly and actually you'd be completely close to that if you you just walk to the supermarket and get your uh, king edwards or maris piper that's right and i think even even within 
staples like potatoes and, and carrots and, and the like that people buy, and onions, for example, that you're buying probably a weekly basis from the supermarket. The variety within those staples is incredible. Mm. Um, and you don't, you just don't see it on the supermarket shelves. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And a few questions um, I always ask people. Um, okay. Uh, and one, um, one I think we've probably covered, but um, I'll ask it again just in case there is someone else as well. Is there any person in particular who inspired you to, to get into gardening? It is actually, and and this might come as a surprise to most people who know her, mm. because she's not immediately obvious for growing veg. But that's Carol Klein. Okay. Um, when you think of Carol Klein, you usually think of her wonderful conversations about flowers. Mm. But Carol, back in two thousand and seven, when I <laughs> had this burst of inspiration about wanting to be a gardener, grow your own gardener, mm. Carol Klein did a series with the RHS and BBC, and on the TV, and it was called Grow Your Own. And she did a six six part series, I think, on growing vegetables. And I watched it, and I was hooked. And I bought her book that came up alongside that series. And that was the time I put my name down on the, on the allotment list. <laughs> so it was Carol Klein at the time. Yeah, you're you're right. Actually, that wouldn't be a name that would um, um, <laughs> that would come up because we, like you say, we all think of her with herbaceous perennials and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And something I always ask people, and I used to hesitate asking this question, but actually I, I soon came to realise that um, anyone who's gardened for any any period of time, and when I say any period of time, maybe a month is short enough actually, has been through this. But have you had any notable failures or mistakes that you've made? Oh, God, every year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've started to, to try and change the uh, the language about failures because I think you know you're you're working with with nature and you're working with things that are are going to change you and you and I, I say I say to myself this this is not a failure it's a learning experience mm. um, because I think every time something fails a crop doesn't work or something doesn't turn out as you thought it was going to you can learn something from that you can ask questions and say well why has it done that and what what's what's caused it and what can I do different. Uh, and I think that's a positive way of looking at failures. But uh, this year, my brassicas um, have been pretty bi- ab- abysmal. Um, I've had some problems with um, my netting didn't work. <laughs> and uh, so the, 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 the cabbage whites have got in there. But also it's been quite wet um, in the earlier part of autumn. And the slugs, as you can imagine, well, anywhere in the UK, we struggle with slugs, but the slugs in in Wales, in wet Wales, has been has been quite significant for me. But yeah, so my brassicas haven't turned out well this year. But I've learned from that, and that is to improve <laughs> improve my netting structure next year, and um, and to manage my slugs a bit better. But every year, I think I have failures, and every year, I I think that's just part of gardening. And it's better to look at it positively than to, to dwell on it and think, oh, my my carrots didn't work this year, or something like that. Yeah. And you, it's um, it's the same for professional growers like us as well. Uh, you mm-hmm. you will always have issues, like you say. You're you're working with with nature, and in some cases, you're slightly trying to work against nature. Maybe grow something Absolutely. slightly earlier or later than you should be. Um, sometimes you're pushing your luck, or sometimes, like us, it's for commercial reasons. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's. Um, it's always there always be failures out there and i like to mention that and uh and you're kind enough to mention that on the podcast as well that actually people do have to just think about that as as it is it's not a failure it's it's a learning experience 
absolutely yeah yeah and we've mentioned the the blog um but i don't think we've mentioned the name of it well my my blog is called sharpen your spades mm-hmm. um and the, the, the website is sharpenyourspades.com so you can you can find me there where I try and write as frequently as possible mm-hmm. um, so yeah that's where you can find me and you can find me online um, if you want to come and uh, join in with me on Instagram mm-hmm. it's my the same name I'm at, at sharpenyourspades mm-hmm. um, I'm on Twitter at spade sharp um, so yeah any of those places you can you can find me being pretty active excellent and with all the writing and bits of place you still get to go to the allotment as much as you'd like uh, I don't think I'll ever get to go to the allotment as much as I would really like. Uh, you know, <laughs> working full time and uh, and the weather and you know it's it's always it's always frustrating when you're passionate about something like gardening. Mm. It's very much an outdoor thing, obviously, and uh, you can't do it as much as you would like. But yeah, I'm I I am lucky enough that uh, especially in the summer, my allotment's close by, so I can get down there after work. Um, and the weekends are great as well. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm managing to get there as much as I possibly can. Brilliant. Good. And it's been really nice of you to join us, Richard. It's been really interesting to listen to your story and um, we will continue to enjoy the blog. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on, Alan. It's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Brilliant. Thank you, Richard. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, Don't forget to subscribe and rate us.